Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find some internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Radio Havana, Cuba, France 24, George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows, and Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. We will begin with Radio Havana, Cuba. Many citizens in Peru are on the streets calling for the closure of Congress and the resignation of Dina Boularte, who became president after the impeachment and imprisonment of Pedro Castillo. The leftist president had attempted to dissolve Congress, which had blocked every attempt he made to enact his election promises. The governments of Mexico, Colombia, and Argentina have called for respect for the will of the people. A viewpoint on the corporate press and how they report Peru in the industrialized north. Demonstrations are taking place in Montreal where the United Nations Biodiversity Summit is being held. Radio Havana, Cuba. Thousands of protesters in Peru continue to take to the streets calling for the closure of the Congress and the resignation of President Dina Boluarte. On Monday morning, demonstrators took over the facilities and runways of the Alfredo Rodriguez Ballon International Airport, which is in Arequipa, the country's second largest city. The action took place after protesters broke through the fence that surrounds the facility. The civil aviation authorities then ordered the evacuation of the people who were inside the terminal and closed operations at the airport. But once the protesters occupied, they burned tires on the runways. The police and the army entered the area and harshly repressed the demonstrators. In the early hours of Monday... Peru's president, Dina Boluarte, decreed a state of emergency in, quote, the areas of high social conflict where thousands of citizens have taken to the streets to demand her resignation and the advancement of general elections. Boluarte assumed the presidency last Wednesday, December the 7th, replacing Pedro Castillo, who was removed by the Peruvian lawmakers after he ordered the dissolution of Congress, announced the formation of, quote, an emergency government, and called for a constituent assembly. Initially, Boluarte said she would finish her term in July of 2026. After the protests, however, she announced that she will send to Congress a bill to advance the general elections to April 2024. She explained that the approval of the bill implies constitutional reforms that should be approved for the most expeditious procedure.
Pulavata said, quote, From now until the elections, my administration will promote a parliamentary agreement to reform the political system, which will allow for a more efficient, transparent and participatory democratic system of government. She added that this reform is expected to eliminate all corruptive practices and legitimize political parties. Since the former President Castillo was removed from office, protests have been increasing in quantity and intensity. Over the last 24 hours, strong protests have also been registered in Lima and in the municipality of Chala, where some 2,000 people have blocked the Pan-American Highway. The governments of Mexico, Colombia, Bolivia and Argentina have expressed their deep concern over the arrest of the former president of Peru, Pedro Castillo, and have called for respect for the will of the people. Through a joint declaration, the four countries of the region detail that it is not news to the world that President Castillo, from the day of his election, was the victim of anti-democratic harassment in violation of Article 23 of the Inter-American Convention on Human Rights. The countries pointed out that Castillo was subjected to judicial treatment in the same manner in violation of Article 25 of the Inter-American Convention. Authorities from the four Latin American nations pointed out that, quote, our governments call on all of the actors involved in the previous process to prioritize the will of the citizens that was pronounced in the ballot box. This is the way to interpret the scope and meaning of the notion of democracy as set forth in the inter-American human rights system. Quote, we urge the members of the institutions to refrain from reversing the will of the people expressed through free suffrage. The statement further read, quote, we request that the authorities fully respect the human rights of President Pedro Castillo and that he be guaranteed judicial protection in the terms enshrined in Article 25 of the Inter-American Convention on Human Rights. The industrialized North and the hegemonic press are trying to make the international community believe that the only one responsible for the serious political crisis in Peru is the now former president, Pedro Castillo, and to exonerate the divided Congress. The rural teacher who became president thanks to a vote at the polls was harassed from the very moment of his triumph. So did the oligarchy and the political elites reluctant to accept challenges coming from the deepest part of Peru. From those lands where inequality, poverty and labor informality are more visible, they demand a change in the traditional exercise of politics in Peru. The right wing and the outdated supporters of former dictator Alberto Fujimori are trying to stifle popular demands which is why the figure of Castillo became an obstacle. Settled in a divided Congress and with declining prestige in the opinion of Peruvians, the right wing stepped on Castillo's heels, prevented him from governing and fulfilling electoral promises, and the dignitary was also questioned by his followers. But the script that Congress is the victim works only in the pages of the corporate press and in the messages of the American State Department. The Peruvian chamber played all its cards on the separation of Castillo, who was forced to carry out 60 cabinet changes. Although it doesn't intend to hold early elections due to the fear of its members of losing influence and seats, Castillo's fate seemed to be written for a long time because that's what the oligarchy and the legislative, judicial and media powers wanted. But these forces will not be able to deceive the majority of Peruvians. 
many review what Castillo did or could not do, but also accusingly point to his contenders in democratic garb. In Canada, hundreds of people marched through the streets of Montreal to demand a strong agreement as the United Nations holds a major summit on protecting wildlife. The United Nations Biodiversity Conference, known as COP15, seeks to protect an estimated one million plant and animal species threatened by extinction, and most of them due to human activity. Activist Charlene George of the Tsuke Nation said any deal needs to ensure the rights of indigenous peoples who've worked for millennia to protect their lands. She said, quote, "Today is about youth and their having a voice, and it's an important voice because some other people are free to stand up, and the youth have the passion to be the warriors and challenge and say the words. They are the ones that are going to inherit all of this mess." Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. Next, France 24. A report from London, where NHS nurses have gone on strike for the first time, while many other unions have also stopped working. The United States is finalizing a plan to send Patriot missiles to Ukraine. France 24. you can see there are thousands and thousands of nurses that are out on strike. It's the first time ever they are from the Royal College of Nursing. We are here outside St. Thomas's Hospital in the heart uh, of Westminster, which is actually moments away from Downing Street. They are shouting so loudly that possibly the Prime Minister can hear them from here. They are really unhappy. There were last-ditch minute talks between the Secretary-General of the RCN on Monday with the Health Secretary, Steve Barclay, and those completely failed. He would not discuss pay. He would only talk uh, about conditions. So they were extremely unhappy. They want a 19% pay rise. Um, and the government says, and the Prime Minister says, that's absolutely not affordable. It's not real. So uh, there is really a deadlock and there's already another strike date that is planned. That is the 20th of December next Tuesday. Um, and the Labour Party is saying that this is a complete badge. This is a complete badge of shame, uh, really, of the government and uh, that there should be money on the table. So real unhappiness here because all the government really wants these nurses to accept is a 4% pay rise. When you know that inflation is around 11%, you can understand that there is a real challenge for these nurses to actually be paying their bills. Obviously, this is a first for the NHS, but it's not the only strike that's on this month there in Britain. Is there any resolution for any of this in sight? Not looking like it. This is really a winter of 
discontent. Now, I say winter because we are in winter. This morning we had minus five when we arrived here. It's now zero degrees. Actually, there's a local hotel bringing pizzas. This is a really coffees. It's extraordinary to see the level of support, and we see that reflected in the polls. I think the government have picked a very serious fight with these nurses. But you're right, there are lots of other strikes. Uh, since June, uh, we had rail strikes. Those will continue into the 9th of January. We've got lecturers at universities uh, who are also striking, ambulance men, border force, uh, postal strikes. This is really uh, almost a general strike all but name. The government really thinks this has become very political and they are adamant uh, that they, really in the public sector there must not be a more than 4 or 5% uh, rise, pay rise. So deadlock in sight, more strikes in sight, uh, people being told that they shouldn't really think of travelling at Christmas when they all want to go and see their families, that they shouldn't really, they should have posted their Christmas cards a while ago if they really want them to arrive on time. So all these strikes and real problems for people as bills rise here as they do across the world uh, in electricity and gas and real challenges for, for people. But no, no resolution in sight, just more strikes for the moment in sight and a deadlock between the government and really public sector workers. Washington is finalizing a plan to send uh, some very sought-after weapons to Kiev. Yeah, as the Wall Street Journal explains, uh, uh, the it says that the, defense, the U.S. Defense Department is expected to sign off on sending the coveted Patriot missile defense system to Ukraine. It has long wanted uh, these missiles to help block attacks uh, to the nation's infrastructure, but now that could become a reality. Uh, for La Croix, the French paper, it says that uh, the Patriot system has become even more urgent uh, for they would help all ward off attacks on Ukraine's electricity and power grid. And with winter, winter temperatures now, that is something that the population needs more than ever. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. On to George Galloway's mother of all talk shows. George speaks with Scott Ritter, former U.S. Marine Intelligence Officer and United Nations Weapons Inspector who warned Congress that there were no WMDs in Iraq. He talks about United States and NATO weapons sent to Ukraine to fight Russia. NATO countries have depleted their defense stocks, and criminal elements in the Ukrainian military have been selling many deadly armaments to the terrorists in other countries. George Galloway's mother of all talk shows. Scott Ritter is a man that I have known for uh, well over 20 years. Uh, I have the highest opinion of his military knowledge. He was an intelligence officer in the United States Marine Corps. He was a distinguished arms expert and disarmament officer of the United Nations disarmament operation in Iraq. He's a man that told the truth about Iraq. He's a man that's telling the truth about the Russia-Ukraine affair. And he's paid a very high price for both of these things. We keep learning that inventories uh, of armaments in the NATO countries are, uh, are at rock bottom. Some countries refuse to give 
requested uh, military aid to Ukraine because that would leave them literally defenseless without uh, weapons to defend their own country. The Financial Times of all people this week said that uh, one of the least predicted outcomes of the war so far is that the Russians have demilitarized NATO by forcing them to expend almost all of the weapons inventory that they had. What are the Ukrainians doing with these weapons? Uh, they're dying. They're receiving these weapons. They go into combat and uh, these weapons get destroyed. Uh, the men manning the weapons get killed. Uh, in the case of the artillery pieces, uh, the Ukrainians, um, you know, fire off as many rounds as they can. And, you know, during the Gulf War, uh, the United States military, this is 1991, we fired 60,000 rounds of artillery for the entire conflict. Uh, the Ukrainian military is firing upwards of 20,000 rounds a day. When we provide them with NATO standard 155 millimeter artillery pieces like the M777, the M109, and others, they use this this NATO standard ammunition. But NATO didn't hasn't planned for expenditures of this rate. I mean, I don't know what NATO has been doing for the last 20 years, but they obviously haven't been planning for a large-scale ground conflict in Europe, despite um, articulating that Russia was somehow the threat worthy of uh, the enlargement of NATO. The United States produces around a quarter of a million 155 millimeter rounds per year. Many, much of that's used for training, and the rest of it's used to keep stocks up to date as they retire um, expired ammunition. Uh, when you provide the Ukrainians with, say, a quarter of a million rounds of ammunition, uh, we might think that that's going to last several months. The, the reality is it lasts two weeks, and then the Ukrainians need more. And after a while, we don't have any more to give. This is war losing numbers meaning that if NATO were ever to engage in a conflict with a, uh, an enemy like Russia and you run out of ammunition against an enemy that uses artillery to dominate the battlefield, it's game, set, match Moscow from the start. Um, NATO is never able to fight uh, Russia in its modern configuration, its post-Cold War configuration. NATO isn't organized, equipped, or trained to fight Russia, but now they don't have the logistic sustainability to do it even in a fantasy scenario. I think this war is actually doing NATO a favor because it's allowing NATO to understand that if it goes to war, it will lose. It will lose decisively. So maybe don't go to war. This is the thought that should be in the head of everybody who wears a uniform in NATO today, that we should tell our diplomats to stop talking about aggressive posturing towards Russia because the last thing NATO wants, needs, or even can survive in, is a meaningful conflict with Russia. President Buhari of Nigeria says that there's evidence in his possession that weapons that were given to Ukraine are showing up in the Chad Basin in the hands of Islamist throat-cutting madmen of uh, the likes of Boko Haram and other Islamist groups uh, who are to be found in that Chad uh, Basin. And if uh, the president of Nigeria is correct, then it would seem that the oft-predicted leakage 
of the weaponry that's being sent to Ukraine is beginning to happen, first in Africa, but maybe uh, ultimately to uh, a bank holdup near us. No, you're 100% correct. Um, that which many people, including you and myself, have been uh, fearfully predicting is becoming reality. I don't know what the United States, Europe, NATO, and everybody who's been providing weapons to Ukraine was thinking when you hand over without any formal uh, accounting mechanism in place, massive quantities of weaponry. Now, you know, tanks, armored fighting vehicles, artillery pieces, these aren't weapons that are easily transported across borders. Javelin missiles, in-law missiles, stinger missiles, machine guns, ammunition, grenades, landmines, portable suicide drones, these are. And these weapons have been turned over to the most corrupt nation state in Europe, Ukraine, at a time when the rule of law has ceased to exist. So the corruption has no checks and balance right now. This Ukrainian military is a military that has been taken over by criminal elements. The Azov Battalion, the Idar Battalion, the Safari Unit, the, the Kraken Battalion. We can go on and on, tens of thousands, even more of these neo-Nazi white supremacist criminal elements whose links aren't to normal governments, but to the underworld, to the black market, to the criminal element. And these are corrupt people who recognize the opportunity they've been given because of the careless behavior of the West to take this man-transportable, this easily transportable um, free money, and instead of using it as it was intended to fight the Russians, to have it filter back and now it's appearing on the markets in Africa. It's appearing on the markets in Europe. It's going to appear on every market in the world. And the world has only the United States, NATO, the European Union to blame. We could have instituted a system of accounting, as is normally done when you're dealing with weapons of this lethality. You account for them. Every time they're expended, officers write a report. It goes back to the logistics, and it can be taken off a list. It wasn't as if the people who provided the weapons to Ukraine didn't know what the reality was. They can't say this was a mistake. They did this knowing full well what the outcome was going to be because they were seeking a political a moment where they could say, we are being strong, look how strong we are. But it wasn't a moment that had any geopolitical significance in terms of advancing their cause. It was a moment that gave them short-term political benefit for long-term real cost for the rest of the world. Scott Ritter, a phenomenal interview that will fly far, I predict. Thanks for joining us. That interview was on George Galloway's Mother of All talk shows. George is a 30-year former member of the British Parliament whose interviews used to be on Russia Today for many years until they were shut down by the European Union and the United States. He now posts his shows on YouTube Search for his channel called George Galloway. I recommend listening to the entire 30-minute interview with Scott Ritter. It's up at George's YouTube channel. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this Lister-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. 
please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet, like listeners in Willits, Ukiah, and Boonville, California did this week. Many, many, many thanks. We will conclude with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Polls show that only 40% of Europeans are in favor of continuing financial support for Ukraine's military efforts. The European Union has faced many crises in 2022, and the corruption scandal in the European Parliament has led to serious reflection by EU leaders. European Union energy ministers failed to strike a deal on energy price caps. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Well, early on in the Ukraine conflict, many Europeans were enthusiastic about supporting Ukraine. Many even took in refugees into their own homes. But after nine months of war, rising food and energy costs, among other factors, attitudes have hardened. A study by the Mercator Forum of Migration and Democracy says a majority of Europeans are still in favor of accepting Ukrainian refugees, but want stricter limits. But it also says only 40% of Europeans favor continued support for Ukraine, regardless of the costs. The European Union is no stranger to crisis, but 2022 has been a particularly difficult year. The war in Ukraine has sent shockwaves across Europe as leaders struggle to support Ukraine while dealing with the economic fallout. Now they also have to contend with a corruption scandal as a top European lawmaker is accused of taking bribes from Qatar in return for political influence. All those challenges are leading to serious soul-searching as EU leaders meet for their final summit of the year in Brussels. Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent Ukrainians pouring out of their country by the millions, and the refugees were warmly received as Europeans opened their doors to them. That solidarity was also visible at the top, with the EU's leaders coming together decisively to rally around Ukraine and to condemn Russia. Tonight, European leaders were fully aligned in condemning the atrocious and unprovoked attacks. Now we have to meet the moment. We will hold the Kremlin accountable. The package of massive and targeted sanctions European leaders approved tonight clearly demonstrates that. The strong stand by the EU against Moscow also reinvigorated the transatlantic alliance and help prompt Sweden and Finland to take the historic decision to end decades of neutrality and join NATO. Most people thought for a long time after the collapse of the Soviet Union that there could be some sort of neutral space between the West and the East. But uh, with the Russian invasion it became blatantly clear that uh, this was not the case and it was time to, 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 you know, to take one consequent step and that was to... to apply to become a NATO member. But for all that has been achieved in the way of support for Ukraine, the crisis has exposed some deep cracks in the EU system. Many in Europe are concerned about the bloc's survival in a changing world. What we need is a will of the 27 member states to build a real European Union that can be effective and resilient in the world of tomorrow. Because the world of tomorrow, let's be very clear about that, it's not a world of member states or nations. It will be a world of blocks of empires. A stronger European Union means acting as a collective, 
but member states have to be prepared to cede more sovereignty to Brussels to be able to do that. But faced with an energy crisis triggered by the war in Ukraine, EU member states have increasingly gone the other way, pursuing their national interests as they seek to shield their own economies and populations from the war's consequences. EU energy ministers have again failed to strike a deal on a block-wide cap on gas prices. Countries demanding the measure say it would shield their citizens from, and their economies from high energy costs, but that puts them at odds with Germany and the Netherlands, who worry that suppliers will simply skip over Europe. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.